Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angels Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Angels Envy bends the rules. It's a little different from all the other bourbons out there because Angels Envy is the pioneer of secondary finishing in bourbon. Angels Envy is finished in port barrels, which adds a layer of complexity to the whiskey and gives it a unique and approachable flavor. Plus, Angels Envy is one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. And whether it's for someone special or to bring to a housewarming party, Angels Envy makes the perfect gift. These angels are so, they have so much envy with its unique bottle design. Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angels Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angels Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, man. Hey, everybody. Hello, Chicago. Have you guys seen the news? <laughs> Let me try to put it in terms you people understand. Uh, even in this nightmare scenario, on a day-to-day -day basis, the news, it's manageable in the sense that you can kind of fold it and consume it and go about your day, you know? This week it felt more like there was a layer of bready news at the bottom then a layer of news cheese, and then a layer of news toppings, then more cheese, then another layer of news, and then a layer of news sauce. Uh, then they put it in the news oven. Honestly, a lot of people don't even consider it news. It's more like a news casserole or a news quiche. I don't know what you people are booing about. I'm talking about the news. Usually the foldable kind of news, traditional news, you can have it and then kind of go about your day. This kind of, I don't know, deeper dish of news, you consume it and then you need to take a nap for a year. How does anybody get anything done when you consume this kind of news? It's enough to make a person try a spirit. Called, I believe it's called Malort. I would like to now read you what used to appear on the Malort bottle. Most first-time drinkers of Jepson Malort reject our liquor. <laughs> its strong, sharp taste is not for everyone. Our liquor is rugged and unrelenting, even brutal to the palate. During almost 60 years of American distribution, we found only one out of 49 men will drink Jepson Malort. I would like to let the people at Jepson Malort know that women can be disgusting too. During the lifetime of our founder, Carl Jepson, was apt to say, 
My Malort is produced for that unique group of drinkers who disdain light flavor or neutral spirits. It is not possible to forget our two-fisted liquor. The taste just lingers and lasts seemingly forever. The first shot is hard to swallow. Persevere. Make it past two shock glasses. And with the third, you could be ours forever. Should we try it? All right. I got to say, honestly, protest too much. I don't hate it. Love it or leave it, still on the road. We have tickets left in Pittsburgh, Thursday, May 3rd, Columbus, Ohio, Friday, May 4th, Baltimore, Maryland, Saturday, May 5th, Crooked.com. And I would just like to let the people of Miami know that I am in the sold-out Chicago theater. So they can think about what that, you know, they can think about it. Uh, look, we're excited to be in Chicago. I wanted to kick off the show with something a little bit different than normal. Uh, so we thought, just to get us in the right headspace, we'd start with a spin of the rant wheel. Um, not sure where it's going to land. Uh, today on the opening rant wheel, we have a few topics for you. We've got uh, Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan. It's all Paul Ryan. Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Paul Ryan. So Paul Ryan announced uh, this week that he would uh, be stepping down from Congress. You know, someone tweeted at me when, Paul, when, when it was announced that when Paul Ryan said that he wasn't going to be the speaker anymore, like, oh, you must be dancing. There was like a lot of that, like kind of like, oh, you guys, this is so great. This is exciting. And I don't know about you guys, but I didn't feel that way at all. I was just sad and angry at this person uh, who claimed to be decent, who claimed to be doing it for the right reasons, who looks and acts like a serious adult, a reasonable person but who turned out to be, you know what though, not a coward. Not a coward, because a coward implies that he, would, that he wanted to do something else but didn't have the courage to do it. I think he's worse than a coward. I think he did exactly what he wanted. Uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a piece on crooked.com about this, and you know, read it if you want, who cares. Uh, you know, I got some, some people criticize me for saying this, but this is how I felt, which is, sincerely, Paul Ryan broke my heart. And there needs to be a word for when someone you don't trust, someone you think is a total fraud, still manages to break your heart anyway. Because I never believed that Paul Ryan was the serious person he pretended to be. He was more serious than his colleagues, which is like, not that hard. <laughs> I felt that he was a fraud, but I thought he was a specific kind of fraud. I thought that he believed that it was impossible to make a case for smaller government given the mainstream media, given the way that the elites behave, given how hard it is to take away a government benefit once it's been given to people, which meant that 
it took some hand waving. It took some misdirection. You could talk about the cuts uh, in taxes, but you couldn't talk about the, fun the cuts to entitlements that would have to come after, but that he sincerely believed that that was the best thing for the country, that reliance on government was poisonous, that he believed that, and it was worth fighting for. That's a belief, a sincere belief held by many. But I had no idea that he would be willing to sell out his country to do it. I had no idea that he'd be willing to capitulate to someone as awful as Donald Trump. Paul Ryan knows that Donald Trump is a terrible person who has no business being president. He knows it. He knows it. And he defends this guy every day. He stands there with his thumbs up. He tells Sean Hannity that, that he's giving the country the kind of leadership the country needs right now. And I believed he was a fraud, but I thought, you know, you hear Republicans say, oh, you know, he's such a good guy, he's a decent guy, he loves his family, he loves his community, cares about his country. Not once in the last year and a half did he do a thing to demonstrate that that was true. I don't care if it makes me seem naive to say I didn't know how bad a person Paul Ryan was. I didn't know specifically how bad a person he was, and I didn't know how far the Republican Party had fallen. But what he's done in the past year and a half is irredeemable. And what, you know, Pfeiffer and, and Favreau talked about this on the, uh, the podcast yesterday. I think it's exactly right. Paul Ryan is not a victim of this time. He is a perpetrator. And that will be his legacy. And I don't feel like it's time to celebrate because Paul Ryan goes and there's Kevin McCarthy waiting in the wings to behave in the exact same way or someone worse. And... I love that Paul Ryan is like, I think I'm going to support, I want Kevin McCarthy to become the Speaker of the House. You know what? I don't think the voters are going to give you that chance, buddy. And I only hope, I only hope that Paul Ryan does manage to keep the speakership till after the election, just so that we can say that we took that gavel from Paul Ryan's fucking hands. You guys, want to, you guys want to get the panel out here and start the show? All right, we have got a fantastic show tonight. Tonight's panel includes Scooter Libby, the Winklevoss twins, and Rod Blagojevich. And it's like a win-win because I think technically it counts towards the remainder of his community service. All right, let's bring out our panel. I'm very excited about our show. She's an activist and organizer whose work focuses on marginalized communities and social justice. Please welcome Chicago's own Charlene Carruthers. Happy to be here. She's a stand-up comedian and a main stage performer at the Second City right here in Chicago. Please welcome Tien Tran. And she's a senior editor at The Daily Beast, a CNN contributor, and a crooked media contributor, friend of the pod, Aaron Ryan. <laughs> Tian, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. A uh, lot of news. You know, it was pretty heavy news, you know? Yeah. An amuse-bouche of news. Sure. Yeah. Aaron, how are you doing? Fine. <laughs> Do you think that we are going to successfully get to Minneapolis tomorrow, given the weather? I am really hoping that we do, because my entire family is going to be there, including my real, real dad, not Paul Ryan, my fake real dad. Uh, so I really, like, I was, I was thinking about it backstage, and I was like, I felt like 
like Fievel from An American Tale. I was like, I want, I want to see my family. Like, <laughs> does it offer you any consolation to know that you're looking up at the same sky? <laughs> it really does. Somewhere out there. Has it been hard? Look, you came from a family. You were raised by two dads, Paul Ryan and the former governor <laughs> of Illinois. That's a really interesting family, John. Um, this must be a hard time. I mean, on the one hand, one of your dads is an Illinois criminal. Uh, the other is a disgraced Speaker of the House. But I guess there's a lot of love in the home. And he did say he was leaving the Speakership in part to spend more time with you. Ugh. No thanks, Dad. All right, let's get into it. What a week. So right before uh, we came out here, uh, uh, President Donald Trump uh, did announce that we would be uh, launching strikes with the UK and France in Syria. Uh, he did that at the culmination of a week of extraordinary developments we had Paul Ryan stepping down. We had a ton of shenanigans around Michael Cohn. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg testified before Congress. Scooter Libby was pardoned today, which is a load off of my mind. I don't know how you guys I'm feel. I'm sure it was a load off of his as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nobody named Scooter has ever been fine. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's an inherently shifty name. If your name's Scooter, it's like, whoop, scooting yeah. away from trouble. Yes, yeah, right, Scooter Libby is like the name of like a sidekick dog <laughs> that like nobody actually likes, like a cartoon dog yeah. that like Scooter pops up and you're like, it's Scooter. <laughs> and on top of all of this, James Comey finally ready to reveal his Queer Eye transformation. <laughs> you may not know this, but James Comey, former head of the FBI, was fired by Donald Trump last year because, um, and it says here, because he treated Hillary Clinton unfairly. <laughs> <laughs> now, James Comey's book is getting released. It makes a few references to the possibility that a certain tape, a certain tape may be real, maybe not. He goes into his decision to, to announce the reopening of the Hillary Clinton investigation just days before the 2016 election. The coverage of Comey talking about the P-tape and, and the revelation just today from McClatchy, that Michael Cohen indeed was in Prague, uh, despite his denials, uh, that Michael Cohen, as reported in the dossier, did go to Prague, led a lot of people to start thinking that maybe, maybe that P-tape is real. Have you ever heard of that? You know, remember the secret when everyone was using the secret to like, I feel like we maybe secreted the P-tape. <laughs> like accidentally, and it's gonna end with us seeing the P-tape, and we're going to be mad that we even tried to secret in the first place. Aaron, that's a really good point. I do believe in the secret, and I have been secreting the P-tape. I've seen your vision board, John. I've seen your vision board. <laughs> it just says P-tape, P-tape, P-tape. <laughs> over and over again. Charlene. What's up? I'm going to get to the serious stuff in a minute, okay. but I want you to say, mm -hmm. betting, you got to bet, you got to decide, Okay. is the P-tape real? You know, 
I don't know whether or not there's a P-tape that's in existence, but I know that there's some nasty, nasty shit somewhere that's in existence <laughs> that we may or may not ever see, you know? But it can't, you know, there, there's very little that surprises me. I call the dude 45. I don't even think he deserves to be called, you know what I'm saying, by his whole name. And sort of like elevators, at some point we're gonna go 42, 43, 44, 46, 47, 48. That's what I look forward to. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was, um, there was an Olympic ceremony one year that had, I think it was an anniversary, I think it might have been in Athens, where they had a runner running around the track representing every year of the Olympics. And for the games that didn't happen because of World War I, and World War II. Do you remember this? The, play, the guy kneeled and it was like, the world was at war. That was, I found that poignant at the time. I did, it really worked on me. It's so rare that a performative run dance will move me. I don't know what the version of that is for acknowledging that Trump did happen. Colin, you just have, you just roll table Colin Kaepernick, taking it to me over and over again. <laughs> when it comes around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Comey also describes his decision to announce the reopening of the Hillary Clinton investigation just days before 2016. Uh, and I would just remind you that I'm somebody who believes that James Comey bats a thousand. Uh, <laughs> unassailable. So here's what he said. It is entirely possible that because I was making decisions in an environment where Hillary Clinton was sure to be the next president, my concern about making her an illegitimate president by concealing the restarted investigation bore greater weight than it would have if the election appeared closer or if Donald Trump were ahead in all polls, but I don't know. He then adds, he hopes very much that what we did, what I did, wasn't a deciding factor in the election. I want to make two criticisms of that second piece. One is, I don't like the dash dash revising the thought, dash, dash, as if it's a stream of consciousness? In the biz, we call that an M-dash, John. <laughs> it's called an M-dash in the journalism biz. Uh, I don't like that. I, pardon my French before I formulate this thought because it's, because it's a very French thought. Um, Comey fucked up. <laughs> Trump is a fuck up. And because of these two fuckers, we might be fucked. But on another note, on a, less, on a more family-friendly note, um, if anybody ever again tells me that women are too emotional to be leaders, I will fuck them up. Aaron, calm down. You're hysterical. <laughs> you know what? That always works. Yeah. Tell a woman to calm down and it's like magic. I think James Comey is like the perfect example of why it's so hard to be a straight white man right now. <laughs> because he, you know, fucked up with the Hillary Clinton emails. He's got one side that hates him. And the left, the Democrats hate him. And the G GOP and the right hates him too because of, you know, starting the Russian inquiry. So he's got like, most people hate him and he's coming out with a fucking book and is having a huge tour, gonna make millions, and no one is telling him to go knit. Like, 
on the other hand, it's though, like so hard. It's so hard out it's, there. It seems very difficult. <laughs> on the other hand, though, I am really excited that James Comey is going to force Sean Hannity to read a book. I think that's too optimistic. Charlene, what do you make of James Comey? Not much. Cool, 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 cool. You know, it, he's a drama, he, he, he's dramatic. You wait this long to write a book, you like rev him up, rev him up, rev him up. He probably had a couple bids for his book, two million here, three million here, whatever, I don't know. But it's, <laughs> he, had, <laughs> he had information. He, and he had information that he could have, you know, exposed earlier, and he decided to do it when it benefited him the most, right? And so, I know, at least I have an idea, how much people get paid when they do speaking tours. I didn't get paid to do this, just to be clear, <laughs> right? I know how... <laughs> I'm, I know. So, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I guess we'll keep the t-shirt. <laughs> I just, you know, I know he's, he's about to make tall money from his book tour, right? And he's going to live off of this for a long time, you know? He has the embarrassment of failing an entire democracy. Congratulations, on one hand. But it's, he'll have a great retirement fund. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's tough to hear. <laughs> yeah, the, um, this is, the, to me, the most important question. It's the thing, I, the thing that I wanted to know what he said about the most in the book. And at least, you know, this, this, what he says about if it had been closer, would I have done it? I appreciate it in that it's at least conceding that this is the core of the issue. This is the crux of the issue. But he still doesn't go far enough because, first of all, this is something that National Review said, friend of the pod, National Review. Uh, <laughs> does he realize what he's admitting here? If the polls had been closer, Comey would not have informed Congress about new developments in the email investigation as promised because he feared it would influence the election and derail Clinton's victory. And I think that's really important because, because that should not have been a factor at all. It should not have mattered at all. The fact that you're admitting that you were doing it because you thought Clinton won would win means you are admitting that you were doing it for yourself, not for the country. That's the first thing. Right, and further that that the apolitical nature of the FBI has been kind of stained, or it had been stained if, if the head of the FBI is thinking of what he's doing as something that has a political end. That shouldn't be a thing that he's considering at all. Especially because he's doing it within 60 days of an election, which is sort of the unwritten rule that you don't do. The other piece of this that belongs in that, in that admission is the fact that the other candidate was under investigation at the exact same time, and he didn't say a fucking word. And it's unconscionable, and he's still, and, and this idea that, oh, if it, I, you know, who can say if it changed the outcome of the election? You know, Nate Silver has written about this. It is very hard to deny that James Comey didn't choose a president. And I understand not being able to face it, I, I get that. I don't think I'd be able to face it myself. But that's exactly why I don't really see the value of this book because there are a few people less well-positioned to talk about what James Comey did to this country than James Comey because it's not possible for him to admit what he did because for him to admit what he did is to concede that for all his 
claims toward honesty and integrity and righteousness, his ethical frame, his way of being as a person, everything led him to a decision that may have caused one of the most destructive outcomes in our politics in American history. Mm -hmm. And if your, if your morals lead you to that, what the fuck are your morals worth to us? Absolutely. To us? You know, I think, like, so Mercury is in retrograde right now. I don't know if I can let that on this. Name I don't know. That, it's happening. It's a thing. I hope nothing falls down and hits us. Things are revealed, right, during Mercury being in retrograde. Charlene. And I think, I think that Conk, this guy, this dude with his book, is yeah, it's, it's revealing of the FBI. I know they set themselves up as being like apolitical, but there's no such thing, unfortunately. I know it's like a downer, but. Charlene, yeah. you've put me in a very difficult position. I know. And let me explain why. <laughs> why? You made a very wise point, mm -hmm. but you started with astrology. I know. <laughs> and <laughs> therefore, I am conflicted. <laughs> yeah. And I think the way to handle it is to just move forward and appreciate the part that I thought was I exactly right. Aaron. <laughs> yes. Do you think James Comey is too tall to be reflective about what he did? <laughs> I like tall people. Uh, but but I, I, I do think I have a theory. I have a separate theory of Comey and that's maybe that maybe like makes him seem more innocent, but also way lamer than if he had, you know, if he had like some political motivation behind disclosing the Clinton probe and not the Trump probe. I think maybe he's just a prude and the Trump probe was like pee stuff and like prostitutes. And if you look at him in the interview with Stephanopoulos, uh, in, the, in, the, in the snippets that they've aired already, he seems so uncomfortable broaching the topic of sex. I think he's a product of our puritanical culture. So that's why he left us to get fucked? <laughs> I mean, abstinence-only yeah. education for us all the way. I also have this other thing about Comey. I think he's like a successful little finger. He like... Oh. I think he is like the little finger of this whole political drama from Game of Thrones, Littlefinger. He's just like so schemy and like conniving and like the fact that he ended up, after hearing what you said that like he maybe just picked our president, the fact that he chose the name of his book to be Higher Loyalty is almost too perfect then. Yeah, I, I think ultimately this book is an effort to explain to himself why He's a good person, ultimately. And even if what he did caused Trump, they were decisions that he made properly along the way. But it's just indefensible. I will concede that I don't know, you know, he was in this position where he felt he needed to tell the country about the Hillary Clinton investigation. And I think, you know, Clinton defenders will say that he was, went too far. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not so convinced about that. What's indefensible is coming to a decision that means... At the end of all your ethics and the end of all your morals, you told us about one investigation, but not the other. Right. And, right. and until he apologizes for that, for that mistake, and it is a mistake, it's not because he was ethical, it's not because he was moral, it's because he made a huge fucking mistake, I really don't think we should take James Comey very seriously. Right. On top of all this, reports that Trump is close to firing Rosenstein, firing Rosenstein would be the first step towards getting rid of Mueller. Uh, Republicans have refused to 
pursue legislation to protect Mueller. I think it's now in negotiations between Grassley and Feinstein. Uh, it's not clear whether McConnell will bring it to the floor. Uh, it's not clear whether we can get something through the House. Charlene, before we move on, there's been this strange twist, which is we have the Republican National Committee putting out opposition research on the former bipartisan, respected head of the FBI, basically trying to smear him as this book comes out. We have the president and his allies trashing the FBI. He said today in a crazy tweet that the, white, that the FBI is a den of thieves and lowlifes. He said it was my great honor to fire James Comey, which is hilarious. Um, and then you have Democrats and liberals in this position of defending the Justice Department, of defending the FBI, of basically kind of taking what they say at face value. What do you make of that? Do you think that we're kind of giving up a kind of core aspect of what it means to be progressive, which is to be questioning of authority in this way? Absolutely. The Democrats have been acting like it's the Labor Day sale, the uh, Memorial Day sale. They're just giving, they give out things. Like I remember uh, during the DACA fight, which is still ongoing, right? And one moment they're, they're, they're like, we're not going to negotiate. Then the next thing you know, they're putting the wall on the line as a negotiating tool. I don't trust them on any level. I don't trust them. Obviously, I don't trust the Republicans either. I think the role for anybody who has a conscience in this moment is to not push for uh, a particular people, but to actually push on issues, right? Yeah. And what we care about. Because it's not about the candidates. It's not about the candidates because they can sway and move in any, any kind of way that they want to, depending on what benefits them. But we know that we have all the seats up for, for, for taking in Congress. And what are they doing? Making concessions when they could be making, as Cardi B would say, money moves. Yeah. <laughs> Cardi B, close personal friend. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's leave it there. When we come back, okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after the election day. <laughs> <laughs> the experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me, because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code LOVEIT. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back! <laughs> now for a game we call OK Stop. Here's how it works. We'll roll a clip and the panel can say, okay, stop at any point to comment. What seems like months ago now, FBI agents in Manhattan raided the office of Trump's <laughs> lawyer, Michael Cohen. This is huge news. Uh, and so 
we must turn to America's most trusted newsman, Sean Hannity, <laughs> to find out what's happening. Let's roll the clip. Today we're learning from reports that FBI agents during the Cone raid, they're actually looking for information about payments made to a former Playboy playmate, Karen McDougal. Does anyone actually believe that a porn star and a former Playboy playmate, that they're going to shed any light on potential collusion with Russia? Okay, Answer stop. I got to tell you, politics can be tricky, it can be complicated. But when you're saying this is ridiculous, these payments to these porn stars have nothing to do with the other investigation. <laughs> I don't think you're winning the argument. Uh, also, the notion that somebody who's a sex worker wouldn't have access to information, that is literally all of Russia's strategy. Russia's entire intelligence strategy is like, oh, get a guy's dick hard and he'll tell you anything. That is literally their strategy. I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> of course not. Robert Mueller is now officially gone rogue and declared war against the president. It doesn't matter, it appears, how rogue Robert Mueller is. doesn't matter what he did with Whitey Bulger in Boston and four innocent okay, people. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? You can't compare the FBI to the opposite of the FBI. That's Hannity comparing Mueller to the mob is a testament to the fact that Hannity should not be allowed to watch mob movies. Like, at, at, like every, I think he's somebody who's seen The Godfather too many times, and then every time he thinks something is bad or cool, he compares it to the mob. I think Sean Hannity saw The Untouchables and thought the guy in the white suit was really cool. I think, he's, I think in The Godfather he thought Sonny was even-tempered. He would be... <laughs> These toll booth operators were acting in self-defense. <laughs> Jail, two died in jail because an FBI informant in his office that was working with, the, with Mueller and his team. Oh, and then after two died, there was over $100 million paid out in that case. Don't we save okay, stop. for I just... drug dealers and... Again, similar to the porn star issue, if you're on television running through the particulars of the downfall of Whitey Bulger, I don't think you're winning and, you know, organized crime and potential terrorists? Apparently not. Michael Cohn had his home, his hotel. Okay, stop. I know I get hung up on this all the time, but these graphics are just horrible. awful. Like, what is, this is like, so we're looking at a graphic that has, like, Michael Cohen standing in front of the Milky Way galaxy <laughs> with, uh, with a Back to the Future font, but also it's a Tomb Raider pun? I just, I feel like, I feel like every graphic on Sean Hannity's show has had five concussions. I think that Sean Hannity's graphic designer is trying to send us all a message. Like he is in the resistance and he's, and he mixes colors and fonts and images as if to say, it's like a kind of SOS. It's like a help me. I hate my choices. Someone get me out of here. I'll do pizza boxes. I'll do whatever you need. Just help me.
course, his office raided by the FBI over a $130,000 payment as the personal attorney of Donald Trump to Stormy Daniels. And what people are not understanding here is when the special counsel raids the offices of the president's private attorney, Mueller is now basically backdoored his way into okay, every single... When you become president, you don't have privacy. It's over. There's no private attorney, no private nothing. Just, uh, he won't reveal his taxes. Who knows what else this man is like hiding, right? And so I, what I don't understand is how we think that once you decide to take any public office, right, particularly one where you have access to the nuclear codes, you have the ability to call for strikes usurp the Congress, right, the people who actually we elect to represent us, that you have any privacy. But the fact that he's able to maintain privacy in the age of Facebook, that this man can still have privacy. So I have a problem. I think that Hannity is pushing this idea that it's his private attorney, why are they raiding him, and that's a problem for me. Well, it's also Donald Trump is entitled to attorney-client privilege like the rest of us sure. until your lawyer is doing crimes for you. <laughs> uh, then it's all over. And the, the fact that they're basically treating Michael Cohen like a mob lawyer is pretty instructive. That, that there be, like, the steps, to your point, I mean, the steps that you have to go to to raid a lawyer are extraordinary because the FBI understands that that attorney-client privilege is a big deal. It's Absolutely. still respected. It's still respected even now. Absolutely. And, like, Cohen calls himself the fix-it guy. Which I feel like if you have to self-designate yourself as the fix-it guy for your boss, your boss is fucking up a lot. A lot. Right. You know, when this whole rigmarole started, I remember thinking, like, maybe this was just this build-up to this amazing, like, perp walk scene, you know, like in Wolf of Wall Street, where it's like this almost, this extreme release from the movie, because it's like, we're bad, we're bad, we're bad, and then you see them all getting arrested. And... I feel like I haven't gotten that really, except Manafort's perp walk a little bit. If there is footage of Michael Cohen finding out that the cops have raided his office, his hotel room, and uh, wherever else they, ra they raided a third place, um, I think that would be almost enough for me. Somebody has it. I think it would be also sweet that like he would be going to jail for payments for sex that he didn't get to have. Oh. <laughs> like, that feels like such a sweet cherry on the douche cake that, like... Yeah. It's almost like Steinbeckian. Like, it's yeah. a John Steinbeck-type character for 2018. Trump business deal, at least since Michael Cohn has worked with Donald Trump. Want to take bets on what Mueller and Weissman are looking for? Because I have a pretty good idea tonight. This concept is wholly un-American. Okay, stop. That's just a fun graphic. That yeah, one's right? a good one. That's an extreme that's home an, one. That's an extremely fun one, I think. Mullergate? That looks it says like a bad Instagram filter that he took a picture of, like swiped over. I, I like that one. I like that. Um, so this is a picture of Muller on something that says Mullergate. And despite Sean Hannity's efforts, even though it says Mullergate, don't you feel like Muller is still the hero in that, in that yeah. image? <laughs> that's so weird. It's very dangerous to our system of justice. It's dangerous to the Constitution if you believe in the rule of law. So tonight I'm saying, okay, game on. Okay, if stop. somebody hits you. Okay, these people who are complaining about rule of law 
are, believe in it. What, 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 this, this is literally law enforcement they're, that they're complaining about. They're like stopping the Mueller investigation is stopping law enforcement. So are you for law and order? Are you for law enforcement or are you not for law enforcement? Because you can't be both. It's almost as if Sean Hannity doesn't give a shit about any of this. And it's all just a game to him. Yeah. And last night there was a Hollywood Reporter party celebrating the powerful people in New York media. And there were reports that Sean Hannity and Stormy Daniels and Stormy Daniels' lawyer were taking pictures together. Sean Hannity thinks this is all a game. But it's not a game. And he, and he can go on television and say whatever he wants because he thinks of himself as an entertainer or I don't know what he could possibly tell himself to justify the kind of shit he pulls on that show every day. But he clearly knows it's bullshit. He knows it's not true, but he says it anyway. And it is so dangerous because Sean Hannity may think it's just a show, but the people watching don't. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, our political press watches what's happening to the rest of the country, and I, and I say that as a member of the political press, watches what happens to the rest of the country as, like, Roman viewers in the Colosseum watch people getting eaten by lions. They're like, oh, there's a person getting eaten by a lion. Well, that lion had a good day. I wonder how its polling is going to do after this. Meanwhile, there are people that are really down there that are really getting hurt by things that people like Sean Hannity watch and cheer on or boo or poo-poo as though they don't affect real people, and they do. Yeah, and then there's also, like, the bots that are like, I love Lion USA, and it's like, I actually think the lion has our best interests at heart, <laughs> which is why the lion ate those Christians, because the lion loves America. Close only by saying that uh, news broke that Michael Cohn maybe actually did go to Prague, as the dossier said, and... Seems as though we are inexorably marching towards the release of a P-tape, which means at some point, okay, stop, we'll have Sean Hannity explaining why it's not a big deal. And actually, it's quite masculine to sit in a hotel lounge chair and watch women pee on a bed. Yeah, get ready for it. Not enough malort in the fucking world. When we come back... We're going to play a game about Facebook. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Beyonce, Katanji Brown-Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. And we're back. <laughs> Earlier this week, human spreadsheet Mark Zuckerberg sat before Congress. It's what it says on the card. I don't know. He testified about Facebook and the recent scandals surrounding Cambridge Analytica. People tuning in soon discovered that senators tend to be old <laughs> and have very, very little understanding of social media or the internet or any technological developments since the Atari. <laughs> it was embarrassing. The questions were pretty bad, and we don't think you'll be able to tell the difference between a real question and a fake one. Who wants to play? 
Did they really ask that? Hi, what's your name? My name is Nancy. Nancy, how are you? I'm doing well. Are you from Chicago? I am. Have you had Malort? I have. And did it lead to a kind of a night you'll never forget, or it led to your children? <laughs> what is your daughter's name? Kira. Is, are there two daughters, three daughters? Just one. Just one, Kira. And you're saying no, 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 but you're saying that as if you have any idea. You're saying <laughs> like, no, she no, didn't no. Know until now. <laughs> Kira, Kira, how old are you? I'm 24. 24. Hmm. You do know that your mom had sex to make you? Once. Just the once? That she was a sexual being like we all are? And still is. I'm not, obviously, I, I apologize. And that one night she had Malort and things took a turn and, hi Nancy. And here we are. <laughs> Uh, have you been here all your life? Yes. Cool. Where should I have gotten pizza from today? That's the best. That's why I won't tell you where I got it from. Where would you have gotten it from? Um, Pequods. Pequods. Okay. Nancy, did you follow this Facebook hearing? These Facebook hearings? A little bit. I work, so. That's... <laughs> what do you do, Nancy? I'm a social worker. You're a social worker. What kind of work do you do? Um, I work with people with severe mental illness. How much do we like Nancy? <laughs> so, Nancy, here's how it works. I'm going to ask you a question, and you will decide whether it was a real question a senator asked Mark Zuckerberg during the hearings or a fake question okay. we made up. Okay? Yes. You ready, Nancy? Yes. Why did you buy Instagram? Fake. Real. Is Twitter the same as what you do? Real. Those were both by Lindsey Graham. And gotta say, Lindsey Graham did a good job. All right? I'll admit it. Uh, next question. Farmville, the fuck happened there? Fake. That's fake. No, I mean, she got it. It was fake. There we go. Would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Real. From Dick Durbin. Do you think you're a victim? Real. Yep, that was Dirty Dean Heller. Is it possible for me to unfollow my cousin Sheila without her knowing? Fake. Correct. Let's say I'm emailing about Black Panther within WhatsApp. Do I get a WhatsApp? Do I get a Black Panther banner ad? Real. That was real. What if they opened up Princeton, Rhode Island, Analytica? Would that also be banned? Real? Real. What if I turned the computer on and off and it's still not working, and before you answer, I tried unplugging it? Fake. Correct. Do social media companies hire consulting firms to help them figure out how to get more dopamine feedback loops? Real? Real. That's from Ben Sass. Why are the Facebook app and the Messenger app separate? What is this bullshit? Fake. But a very important question. Though, 
If you delete them both, who cares? Uh, <laughs> Facebook has initially shut down the Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day page. To a great many Americans, that appears to be a pervasive pattern of political bias. Do you agree with that assessment? Real? Real. <laughs> Would you believe Ted Cruz asked that? <laughs> when, you, when you say pipes, you mean... Real? Yes. Have you ever considered a dislike button? Fake. Correct. What was Face Smash and is it still up and running? Real. Real. That one is real. And finally, do you think you're too powerful? Real. Real. Nancy. You absolutely crushed it on the game. You've won the parachute gift card. Give it up for Nancy. Give it up for the slightly embarrassed Kira. Hands in her head. That was great. When we come back, we're going to play a Chicago-focused corruption game. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Beyonce, Katanji Brown-Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. And we're back. <laughs> now for a game we call Corruption Junction. Chicago has long been heralded as the most corrupt city in America. But, <laughs> but there's a new kid on the block called Washington, D.C. <laughs> Trump is giving Chicago a run for its money. So here's the game. Each of our panelists will read three different examples of corruption, and you will have to guess which one is from Chicago, which one is from Trump's Washington, and which one I made up on a Xanax while flying here. <laughs> I didn't take a Xanax. I took him a lort. <laughs> uh, would anyone out there like to play Corruption Junction? Hi, what's your name? Mike. What do you do here in Chicago? I'm a computer programmer. I get that. Are you ready to play? I'm trying. Do you know Chicago politics? Yeah, of course. All right. Question number one. Hired a criminal for a public job that had previously been convicted of stealing $4 million from a public agency. Or B. Found guilty on 12 counts after closing a park for construction to stop his political rival's daughter from getting married there. Or C. Awarded a contract to his wife's firm for $485,000 without a competitive bidding process. So we have a criminal for a public job, we have a park closed for a wedding, and we have a wife's firm. Chicago? Which is which? They're not all Chicago. <laughs> which is which? Um, I'm going to go with D.C., Chicago, Xanax. 
wrong on every score. The criminal for a public job was Chicago under Richard Daly. The 12 counts of closing a park for a wedding was fake. And the $485,000 without a competitive bidding process, that was Ben Carson. Question number two, A. A group of businessmen forced farmers in an area surrounding the city to sell their land and then use connections and bribery to direct the city's water supply to that land, dramatically increasing its value. Or was it B? His office forged a document so his wife could go on a trip on the taxpayer dime. C. A group called the Gray Wolves awarded an energy contract to a fictional energy company they owned so they could force a real energy company to purchase it. So we have <laughs> water redirected, we have forged documents, and we have the Gray Wolves. I'm going to go Chicago, D.C. made up. Wrong on all counts. Uh, not a film buff. Charlene's answer was the film Chinatown. <laughs> Shulkin is who forged a document so his wife could go on a trip. And the Grey Wolves were Chicago aldermen. I gotta say, I love this show and I'm extremely embarrassed. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Question number three. Again, one is Trump, one is Chicago, one is made up. Eh? A hired a sex worker to seduce his brother-in-law and videotaped it to blackmail his sister from turning against him. B. Campaign manager was charged in federal court with conspiracy against the United States, conspiracy to engage in money laundering, and failure, failure to register as a foreign agent. C. Convicted after taking bribes to fix murder trials. Hmm... Made up Trump in Chicago? I'm going to give it to you. However, A only C made up. It is Jared Kushner's father. But, Mike, bonus question. Who said the following? The president's frequently expressed point of view was that his trouble stemmed from political enemies who wouldn't leave his past alone and a special prosecutor he never should have agreed to. Was that Paul Ryan? No. That was Lewis Free about Bill Clinton. Oh, oh, surprising. Isn't that interesting? You don't know what to do with that. I don't care. I insisted on it. Final question, Mike. Cool, A, stayed in a lobbyist apartment for $50 a night, <laughs> well below the market rate. B. <laughs> Took multiple first-class planes, including one to Rome, costing taxpayers $90,000. C. Hired a massive team of security guards that traveled with him to places like Disney World, costing taxpayers $30,000. Is that all Pruitt? Yes! Mike! You, re you redeemed yourself. Sort of. You've won the game and the Parachute gift card. When we come back, the Rant Wheel. Don't go anywhere. 
This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Now for the rant wheel. Here's how it works. We spin the wheel and where it lands, we talk about the topic. This week we have Apu from The Simpsons, Deep Dish Pizza, Michael Cohen and his taxi medallions, gender reveal parties, Ari Fleischer, quote, retweet if you agree, end quote, (laughs) Ivanka in Peru, and the Hollywood Reporter's most influential press party. Hmm, let's spin the wheel. It has landed on Ivanka and Peru, a suggestion that comes to us from Aaron Gloria Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Ivanka, that bitch is always on vacation. (laughs) And even when she's not on vacation, she's kind of on vacation. Her vacations have happened at very key points during her father's tenure, of which she's a she's a senior presidential advi- what is she a senior advisor, some Something. bullshit title. So she's allegedly supposed to be advising the president in a senior manner. And she has been she was in Vermont when Charlottesville happened. She was away when the ACA repeal failed. She's now in Peru touring a quinoa factory when John Bolton is ordering us to fucking strike Syria during his first week. Ivanka is a useless Barbie that does nothing, knows nothing, and does not belong in the White House. And her time in Peru, and here's one more thing. This week contained, and I'm doing the emphatic finger, so I mean business. This week contained (laughs) Equal Pay Day, which was the day to which women have, or the the day that women work, to which women work for free. This week on that day, a group sued uh, the OMB to get records of how complicit Ivanka was in preventing an Obama-era rule ensuring equal pay from going into effect. Ivanka is nobody's friend. She's not a friend to women. She's not a friend to this administration. She's not a friend of the country. She sucks. Let's spin it again. And has landed on Apu Nahasapima Padalan. So this week, The Simpsons finally addressed the controversy that Harry Kondabalu started with his film, where he basically said, I am somebody who was a victim of the Apu stereotype, that this Indian stereotype, this South Asian stereotype was hurtful to me. It was hurtful to a lot of people. And it may have been acceptable a long time ago. But we need to talk about what it meant for people to have this be the kind of example on television. And The Simpsons did a, a response, and it was 
so disappointing. And it basically said, you know, something that was acceptable no longer is, what are you supposed to do? In the context of Lisa Simpson realizing that a old book she liked was no longer politically correct. And it was in the mouth of Lisa Simpson saying, you know, what can you do? And it was really disappointed because disappointed because I love The Simpsons. And I think it was really defensive. And, and I actually would say, listen, as much as I am in a feud with Ira and Kara and, and Lewis, you should listen to the Keep It conversation about this because it was really smart, but basically saying that there are things that they can do. They could talk about it. They could introduce characters that talk about it. They could, instead of addressing the controversy, they could address the issue that he raised, which is, what does this character say? We understand where it came from. It's thir the show's been on for 30 years. Things change. But can't you talk about... Can't you address the concern and not the controversy? That's what I found really disappointing. And to, and to put it in, in, Lisa said it, right? Like, Lisa's having this. Isn't, isn't she supposed to be, like, the most thoughtful, the most progressive yep. of the whole family? Yep. And for her to be the one to be like, well, there's nothing we can do about it, is such, like, is so lazy. Yep. Is super-duper lazy. And it also just, like, undermines who she is as a character. It was, yeah, very disappointing. Yeah, it, it's, um... Because there's an answer to that question. It sort of Lisa turns to the camera and says it as if they're kind of trying to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, we wouldn't do a poo the same way now as we did back then, but he's been a, it's been a long time and this is who he is. What are we supposed to do? But the thing is, there are answers to that question. Why not try answering that question? And I, and I guess there's a reluctance, you know, to be on the side. You know, they're, they're feeling like dictated to by the outside world, by politics for what they can and can't create. And I, I get the resistance to that. But also, The Simpsons at its best take controversies like this and, and used to tell stories about it. And by the way, there are great episodes in which Apu is elite, kind of, that, that explore him as a, a richer character as well. So, I don't know. The whole thing was disappointing. And but. we can't afford that shit right now, <laughs> frankly, for people to be like, uh, I don't know, I can't do anything. I, th I think this is like, yeah. I think this whole thing is a really good object lesson in, if you just kind of impassively look at it, the way that the writer's room reacted is defensive. And that's the way that I think we should all avoid reacting when we feel as though we're being legitimately critiqued. I think that's a, I think that's an instinct that people have, especially if you're in a writer's room situation. It's like, it's very team oriented. You're with each other all the time. And if one of you feels attacked, then you all kind of circle the wagons around each other. But that's not the ideal way of dealing with controversy. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's spin it again. I've been waiting for this one. It has landed on gender reveal parties. Mm. Anyone can take it, but, but Tien did suggest it. I hate them across the board <laughs> for a variety of reasons. First of all, I think they have become so over the top. And the production value for a gender reveal party does not match the secret that is being revealed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've seen, like, pink and blue cakes. I've also seen videos of people having targets from like 100 yards away, shooting a gun, and then releasing like pink birds. Like just crazy, crazy shit for like a secret moment. Um, the second thing I, I don't like about it is that I think it's just like an extra party for predominantly straight people to show that they've like made a thing they could take care of. 
You know, the, have you ever heard the old rule, like the more expensive the wedding, the more likely they are to get a divorce? Yes. I feel like the more expensive yeah. the gender reveal, the dumber the kid. Yes. <laughs> I think that math checks out. Uh, I also don't like it because it's not a gender reveal. It's a sex reveal party. Because gender is a construct and gender is fluid and it changes as we grow and, and, and turn into like full beings. And like, my parents had no idea that tonight I was gonna present as like a gay reboot of MASH. Like, <laughs> they couldn't have predicted that. Uh, uh, just for the podcast audience, uh, she is wearing whatever that meant. Uh, <laughs> but yes, that's why I hate gender reveal parties. They are a waste Stop of money it. and people's Stop time. Stop doing it, please. My sister had one when, I'm it's fine, uh, when my nephew Bennett was born, and I have a similar discomfort with it just as an enterprise. I'm like, why are we elevating gender at all? Like, I just, it's making gender too salient. Forget fluidity, forget the rest. Like, even if we put that aside, even if it is about sex, it is saying that this difference is of great importance or interest to people. I don't like that. But my sister got the call the head, got the gender reveal cake. She shows up and she had the party. I was, you know, coming into New York, so that's a big deal when I come in. And uh, <laughs> stop it. Uh, and uh, she goes to the bakery to pick it up, and she says, "Hi, you know, I'm St I'm Stephanie. I'm here to pick up my my gender reveal cake." And the the woman comes up, like, "Here it is, one cake, blue frosting in the middle." <laughs> I love that baker. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. All right, let's spin it again. Can I do this one? Does somebody else have that one? What do you want to you want to take deep dish? Yeah, did someone else have it? Go for it. Okay, cool. I'm sick and tired. Of deep dish pizza, pizza being the only pizza that Chicago's known for. I'm sick and tired of it. Especially when you New Yorkers come into town and you trash our pizza. We're not talking about that dollar corner pizza that y'all sell in New York City. But y'all will come to Chicago and say, well, deep dish is like eating a cake. It's like eating a pie, whatever. But there's home run in pizza, right? If you're from the south side or the far south side, Italian Fiesta pizza, right? Aurelio's pizza. There's all kinds of pizza in this city, and it's not just deep dish, and I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of it. Charlene, <laughs> I yes. so appreciate that. <laughs> I so appreciate you raising the kind of, the rainbow of pizzas available <laughs> here in Chicago, because what I wanted to say is I am born and raised in New York. I know. Ooh, bless your heart. New York City. New York City and Long Island. I love New York pizza. I believe in New York pizza. You can fold it. You can eat it without having to take a day off from work. Which I think is cool. But my heart is big enough for Chicago pizza, too. Oh. And what I do not accept, what I reject, 
are yeah. people who say Chicago deep dish pizza is not pizza. Mm -hmm. This is America. Yes. <laughs> and it's pizza if we say it's pizza. <laughs> you cut it in slices, it's got sauce, cheese, and bread, it's fucking pizza. And we can argue and we can debate over thin crust versus the artery-clogging <laughs> dough grenades you make here in Chicago. But we can be respectful of these differences. We can see each other as opponents but not enemies. I could no sooner disown Chicago deep dish pizza than I could my own grandmother. Whatever that means. <laughs> because all of us can open our hearts to the different shapes and thicknesses that pizza can come in until the day that our hearts explode. <laughs> and I think there's a lesson there for all of us about pizza. And we'll have to leave it there. And that's our show. I want to thank our awesome panel, Charlene Carruthers, Tian Tran, Aaron Gloria Ryan. Thank you, Chicago, for coming out. Have a great night.